Good morning. If you're joining us right now, good afternoon. If you're joining us at 5 online, really, really, really happy to have you all here. If you're in person, in the parking lot, out in the lobby, or in your living room, super, super thankful and grateful that you would decide to carve out two hours this morning for this sermon. It's kind of a joke. It is a definite joke, but I, what I do want to make sure you're all aware of is uh, Ben just told you we're in week eight of a series called uh, Better, which here's kind of the, the tagline or the, you know, sub-series title. Uh, when life hands you choices, uh, you get to choose better, right? And so what we're doing each and every week is we're just trying to kind of walk together as a church family and just continue to take the next right step, whatever that is. And each week we're taking different steps. But the word, uh, the sermon series, Better, is actually a, a condensed version, a smaller version of a much larger series that we've been in called the Gospel of Luke. We're like in week 54 or 55 of a sermon series that's probably literally going to take more than 120 weeks. Not, that's not an exaggeration. That's not a joke. It's just going to take us a while to get there. And today, finally, we get to Luke chapter 15. So the really neat thing is the gospel of Luke is uh, that's just as helpful in helping us make the better right choice. And it's been that way since Luke wrote it 2,000 years ago. Just really, really brief reminder. Luke, the gospel of Luke was written by a doctor named Luke, right? who was hired by a, what we believe, Roman official named Theophilus to go and figure out whether or not he should make a different choice than living in the kingdom of Rome. And so Luke writes this entire gospel after sitting down and doing all the research you could ever imagine, years if not a decade, to come to the conclusion that he writes all these things so that Theophilus and us could have certainty of the things we've been taught. Now, what Luke was telling us in Luke chapter 1 verse 4 about what the certainty of the things we've been taught are the things that Jesus taught. And what Jesus talked about was the better option for our lives. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. 92 times in the four biographies about Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 92 times the, the statement, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven got, shows up. And the big aha, big idea of this entire gospel, the whole gospel of Luke, is that you and I get to participate and live in the kingdom of heaven. And not when you die, not when you pray some prayer and then you die and you get beamed up into these clouds, but the kingdom of heaven is near. In words of John the Baptist, repent, change the way you think, for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what we've been doing is that word repent means to change the way you think. And so Luke writes this entire gospel to help Theophilus and us change the way we think and perhaps consider that the kingdom of God is a real place. And the kingdom of heaven is a place that we get to participate in now. And the way by which we get to participate in it is because Jesus, who is king of heaven, stepped down onto this planet. History will capture that. History will capture that he declared himself as the son of man. History will cap, uh, has captured that he has declared himself the son of God. History uh, actually captures the fact that he was murdered for those statements. And then history is what shows us that he came back to life after being murdered to prove all those statements were true. And then history will capture the first century. These people believed it so much they were willing to give up their life because they were choosing a better option. The option they were choosing was to fear Jesus and fear what it looked like to be in reverent awe of this God who exists and created a way for us to participate in what he had for us instead of fearing what man had offered. So Luke writes it for Theophilus uh, to tell you about Jesus as the one that we should put all of our hope, all of our trust, 
and all of our joy and all of our peace. In fact, when Luke writes it, he writes 1,151 verses and 568 of them, more than half, are direct quotations out of Jesus' mouth. So we've been each week trying to figure out how do we live in the kingdom? How do we choose the better choice? And last week, what we challenged you to do was choose Jesus over religion. And it's just worth repeating that uh, there are really only two options in this world, really only two kingdoms at play. And you have to go back and listen to the July 4th sermon series on freedom, right? That, that there are really only two options, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this earth, which we would say is the kingdom of Satan. No, let me even distill that a little bit more. There's actually really only two approaches to how we live life. We have religion. All of you have it. All of us participate in it. Even if you go, I'm not religious. What you've done is you just have created your own little religion and your own little family, right? You've got religion, which is, I would argue, the kingdom of Satan. Sounds so offensive, but just hear me out. And then you have Christianity, which is distinctly and completely different than religion. And so the way that I've been defining it for you over and over again is religion is man's attempt to either get back to God or become their own God. Right? And so you're like, well, that seems a little inappropriate to clump every single category, whether it's Islam, Judaism, you know, Mormonism, whatever one you want to capture, and put them all in the same kind of bag and say they're all the same? Because they don't seem the same. Some, like, you know, won't, won't, you know, kill flies, and others will murder cows, right? So, wait, some of them won't eat pigs. You're saying they're all kind of in the same category, and I would say, yeah, and here's the reason why. Because they have the same ruler. They all have the same person, the same enemy, pushing the same agenda. That they want to convince you that you can perform well enough to make God happy with you. That you can work hard enough to make yourself your own God. And for those of us who've had some, uh, some history and some life experience, and for those of us who have the courage to actually admit it, we all can come to the conclusion that we really aren't that good. That we cannot do enough tricks and performance art to make God happy with us. And so our, if we can't do that, either we got to go, well, there must be no God who exists, or, you know, if there is a God, I don't know what he's like, and I'm not interested, so I just need to focus on my here and now. And so what you've done, what I've done, is we've just taken our own little world and shrunk down the walls and made our own little kingdom, and all we care about is our little house, our pleasure, our family, our joy, and our future, and our legacy, right? We've, we've, we've made it all about us. And so what's so interesting about this is all religion, every single one of them, Gives you a manuscript, a checklist, a thesis that, it, that you have certain acts that you should perform. And if you do those things well, you will succeed and life will be great. And what many of us have discovered is that we've tried to do those things. And one of two things have happened. Either we weren't able to do the things that we said we were going to do, right? That we couldn't actually complete the checklist that we thought we could complete. Or, even worse, you were able to complete that checklist able to complete that checklist and you got to the other end after completing all the stuff getting the the job getting the spouse getting the house getting the trophy and you got all the way to the other end where you actually did a good job of performing the checklist in front of you and where you ended up still left you wanting right i still think about 15 years or 10 12 years ago when tom brady after he had one of his first couple of super bowls he's interviewed on 60 minutes and he says something really interesting he says i wish everybody could win the super bowl so they could realize that's not enough either, 
right? And so this, the, the problem is religion sends us in one or two places, either pride, wow, we're really good at this, or despair, man, we're really bad at this. And so because none of religion works in, in a way that gets us back to God, God in his perfect attempt actually sends Jesus to reconcile himself to us through Jesus. And what's so crazy, when he sends Jesus that on Jesus' back is the entire kingdom of heaven that he is making available to us. And so what I'm trying to challenge you to do, trying to get us to do as we look through this sermon series, is to choose to live in this kingdom of God that Jesus not only came to teach about, but came to bring about. And so last week, is we, we got to choose either Jesus over religion. And here's kind of the steps that I challenge you with. It was this. How do you participate with Jesus? First, you just got to see him. You got to see him, not as some cute philosopher or prophet, but as God incarnate, right? So you see him. Not only do you see him, you see him in all the light of himself, right? Then you have to receive him. Okay, Jesus, if that's really you, would you come in and would you guide my life? As that happens, as you see him and as you receive him, the next step would actually be to respond to him. Now you start to live as though Jesus is living through you. You know why? Because he is. And as you see him and as you receive him and as you respond to him, what starts to happen is your life, your family, your church starts to reflect him, right? This is why Jesus tells us, let your light so shine before men that people can see your good work, reflect him, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so as Christians, for those of us in the room that are Christians, as Christians, we have a mandate to let our light shine. But here's what happens for us and for all of us, right? Okay, okay, I get it, get it. I need to choose Jesus. But I know that because I choose Jesus, I got to do good. I got to be nice. I got to, you know, not let, not, uh, you know, uh, honk and throw up my middle finger at the person who pulls in front of me on the interstate. And I got to not be irritated when the cash register takes too long or the person in front of me writes a check. Why do people still write checks at the grocery store, right? Got to be patient and kind and all those things. And so what ends up happening is you actually bypass Jesus. You bypass this, see him and receive him. And, re- and then you start to try to respond in your own flesh. And so what I want to make sure that we're clear on is that these are, not, these are byproducts of you just seeing and receiving him. This is not something you can do on your own. When you try to do it on your own, this is so mind-boggling. We just basically took what Jesus did for us, took what he came to bring to us, took what he came to call us to do, and turned that into religion. That's why I get so murky. Wait, you're saying we shouldn't be religious? Wait, you shouldn't be religious? Yeah, yeah, because what has happened in the church, every church, is if you're brand new to this thing, you're going, well, I thought I had to tuck in my shirt. In fact, I came in here and I thought for sure that the lightning was a strike because I haven't been in a church building in a while because you think that your performance is what makes God love you and respond to you. But we have to remove all that and go, nope, you have to see him. Then you have to receive him. And as you receive him, then you respond to him. As you respond to him, what ends up happening is you start to reflect him. And guess what else? You start to reflect his kingdom. So uh, when we saw that last week, Jesus basically told all these people, these religious people who didn't like it, that basically they're really dirty. They're gross and dirty and they were spiritually dead on the inside. Now you have this outward appearance. It's really pretty, but yeah, you have a really ugly inside. That's what he says. And they don't like it. And they actually are going to start getting together and decide that they're going to have to murder him literally they they're going to conspire and they're going to walk with him and try to catch him up into things so they can then report it to the government report it to the synagogue so that he can be brutally murdered now and a year from now, then they're going to actually achieve that cons, you know conspiratorial plan right they're going to achieve it and he's literally going to be murdered because he said he was god 
and that he said that there's a better way to live and that he came to give life and life to the fullest and it was not going to be found in a synagogue or a religion or a performance art, right? So they don't like it at all. They are very, very angry. And this is where you see the beginning of this process. Now, what I didn't get to read to you last week, because I, sometimes I talk too long. I didn't realize that. But sometimes I just take a really long time to get around the barn. What I didn't get to read to you last week was going, okay, if, if this is how it works, that we see him, we receive him, we respond to him, we reflect him. But you're saying the respond and reflect is not something I actually can conjure up. It's something that Jesus actually does. Well, how does that happen? And what's really, 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 really neat is... Um, towards the end of Jesus's ministry, so let's skip ahead nine months, maybe 12 months, possibly 15 months, um, that Jesus is actually going to uh, be arrested, right? And so these guys, these same religious folks, are starting to come up with a plan to get him murdered, right? To shut him down, to shut him up, right? And so right before that's about to happen, this arrest is about to happen, Jesus brings these 12 guys that he's been teaching all about the kingdom of God. By the way, these 12 or 11 of the 12 are going to be some of the people who really inform Luke's gospel because they were eyewitnesses. And so Jesus actually brings them in. This is what's called like the Last Supper. This is literally the last meal he's going to have with his people before he gets murdered, right? And so he brings them together, and he shares with them all sorts of new information. He tells them that there's some good news that's going to happen, that he's going to leave, and they don't think it's good news. They're like, no, 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 no. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Then he points to this kingdom that he's going to come and rule and reign in that we're going to be invited to, right? And then he says, but it's even better news because, because I'm leaving, because I'm leaving. You're actually going to get another one the same as me, and he's going to talk about this Holy Spirit, right? What's really neat is the gospel of Luke sometimes is referred to as the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Because in it, we see that even in these things, the way we see him and receive him, uh, when we see him and receive him, the way that we respond to him and reflect him is not actually from our own means and our own power. It actually comes from the Holy Spirit, right? And you're going, ah, oh, that's so strange. I'm like, yeah, it is so strange. It's so hard to teach about. It's so much better to experience. And so that's where I just encourage you to, to hop on this journey with us. And so uh, Jesus is telling them that. And then he tells them something so important in terms of they're about to, like they're about, what they're about to do is going to be considered illegal. And all these guys literally are going to be punished unto death for this belief system. So he tells them they're going to get um, this, this spirit, this comforter, this guide, this teacher, that God himself, not an impersonal power, but a powerful person, is going to come in the form of spirit. He's going to tell them that. And then he's going to give them a picture of actually how this plays out, to see him, receive him, reflect, uh, respond to him, reflect him, right? And so these are Jesus' words captured by John. That's another gospel writer who was Jesus' little buddy. He is one of the guys who wrote uh, one of the Gospels. And I always laugh because he doesn't say it in the Gospel that he wrote it, but he refers over and over to, to himself as the one that Jesus really loved. It's so funny. But, so John, the beloved, who had been sitting in the room, actually captures Jesus' words that I think will help us understand how we do this. Okay? And then we'll look at why that matters so much in terms of choosing the fear of Jesus over the fear of man. And this is what he says, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And he's going to use kind of a farming uh, vineyard analogy. And this is what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So he goes, oh, you want to know how to see me and receive me? Let me tell you what works. I am the vine. Now, they would have understood this to go, that's the life source, right? They would have understood uh, grapes and vineyards and wineries, right? So they would have understood all that, right? And so he goes, I am the vine. 
Uh, my father's the vine dresser, meaning my father's caring for this, but I am that, the way that you connect to life, right? Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you're going, there's two options here. <laughs> kingdom of God, kingdom of earth, kingdom of Satan, right? Two options, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth. Right? In the kingdom of heaven, you are connected to the vine. And what's going to happen is my father's going to prune you for the sake of growth, for the sake of seeing him, receiving him, uh, responding to him, and reflecting him. Or if you're going to try to do this on your own, absent from the vine, guess what's going to happen? He says, he does not bear fruit, he prunes, but the one that does, uh, takes it, he takes it away, right? Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So he's going, here's the good news. You right now are a clean, fresh part of the vine. Why? Because I've spoken this into you, right? What we learned over and over again, that faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of Christ. So the way that we get access to the kingdom is through faith. And he's going, I have already spoken this over you. And even more important, in you. And then he says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's going, Remember, if you actually want to uh, respond to me and reflect me, there's only one place to do that. It's resting and abiding in me. You've got to stop the performance art. You've got to stop trying to do this on your own without God. You are just creating more religious checklists. So you want in? All you've got to do is abide. Stay connected to me, right? Stay connected to me. And, and if you don't, neither can, uh, unless it abides in vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. No, he says this, verse 5 again. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now watch what he says here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, hey, you know that inside of you, you really desire for your life to matter? Every single one of you. Every single one of you. Maybe you've gotten beaten down by the reality of life. and Maybe you've migrated to, I just want to arrive slowly at death somewhere way out in the future. But at some point in your life, you surveyed yourself and thought, my life matters and I was made and built for something. And Jesus is going, yep, you were. And now that you're seeing this, and now that you're receiving this, right now you're going to start to respond to it. But here's the deal. If you are not connected to me, guess what happens? Your life is meaningless. As uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, your life is meaningless. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So he's appealing to these guys who are desire to have a legacy like we do, desiring for their lives to matter like we do. And he goes, hey, you want in on it, you have to abide in me. Now he continues and he says this. Um, and if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire and burned. So, a warning. He's saying, look, the goal isn't for you to perform well. The goal is for you to stay connected to the vine. Why well, challenge you to Keep coming to church and open up the scriptures. Why well, challenge you to get into a community group and be known, right? Because the whole goal of the gospel is that you would be with Jesus forever starting now. Not that you'd perform well. Not that you would be well known. Not that you'd do everything right. None of those things. The whole goal was that you would be with Jesus. You would connect with him. So he's going, hey, you can do this, right? If you'll just abide in me, right? If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So... If you'll just rest in me, and then you'll allow these words, my words, to rest in you. Here's what really is neat. Whatever you ask, I'm going to do. Why? Because what we now see is that as we rest in him and receive him, 
What's happening is receive his word. It actually is doing some crazy things into your heart. And as it's doing those crazy things into your heart, the things that you care about now are very different than what you cared about before you saw him and received him. Very different, right? Very different. The way that you see your family, the way that you see your marriage, the way that you see your job, the way that you see the money that God's entrusted you, the way that you see your body and health, very, very different than when you began this journey of trying to figure out how to perform well. So he goes, when you get there, because you've, you've seen me and received me, what's going to actually happen is God is going to change your heart as he changes your heart. Really, really neat. Then you're going to have the same desires God does. So guess what happens when you have the same desires he does? Whenever you ask him for things that he desires in your life, guess what he does every time? He goes, done. Absolutely. Whatever you ask, it will be done. Verse 8, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So he's going, you want to actually reflect me? You want to reflect me? You want to reflect me? If to see me, if to receive me, then you respond. How do you respond? You remain in me. How do you respond? You rest in me. And as you rest in me, as you continue to feel my love and experience, not perform, continue to yeah, have that assured up in you, your heart begins to change. Your heart begins to change. You begin to see the things I do and want to do the things that I did. And you uh, have these new desires that come into you. And when you ask God to fulfill those hopes and dreams that have to do with his kingdom, he always will respond and he'll always respond in the affirmative and his answer will be yes, done. And then he goes, and here's the really good news. As you do that, what happens is you produce fruit. And here's what happens as you produce fruit that I produce in you. Remember, you're just the, you're, you're just the, the branches connected to the vine, right? You, when you do that, two things happen. One, our Heavenly Father, my Father, your Father is glorified, meaning that he is seen and known and worshiped, which is the whole goal. And you actually can prove, reflect that you're his disciples because you're now doing things that you couldn't do on your own. And he continues and he says this, uh, as the Father has loved me, so I've, uh, I loved you. Abide my love. Just rest in it. Just rest in it. This is so hard for some of us, especially up here. What's interesting, I've been in Pennsylvania now four years. was in Mont- Montana before then and uh, Georgia before then. And this culture is unlike anything else I've ever experienced. The pace of this culture, the pace of our families, the amount of requirements that we feel the burden to be in and do and perform, right? Like if you, if you have kids right now, young kids, or even elementary or middle school, I would, I would venture to say you're exhausted. And you're exhausted by this calendar that you've helped create, that I've helped create, right? There's just something in there, and we got to perform well, and, you know, we're really good at getting education, high-level education, and a bachelor's isn't enough, master's isn't enough, got to keep on going, got to keep on moving the ladder, and it is just this, this torrent, right? This stream just going so fast, and it is so overwhelming, and so for us, it's so hard to go, wait, you mean I can just sit still for a second and rest? Not that you can. You should. It is a command from God. Not that you can, but he commands us to rest and just be loved by him. When's the last time you sat, if you're a Christian, and just were loved by God? And as you receive his love, uh, then you will abide in his love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So if you would just rest in me and just keep my word, you would receive this love, these things I've spoken to you. Watch watch this. That That my joy may be in you. Watch this and that your joy may be in full. So this thing that all this look like, you don't have to be a Christian to say, yep, I'm interested in that. That you actually want your life to be filled with joy. 
and you want that joy to be so full. Like this is the whole idea of the gospel, that God fills our heart to the point of overflowing, and then out of the overflow of our heart, we serve and speak and minister, right? So we all want this. We go, ah, that's it. And so the way that I describe it, and I've described it all sorts of ways, this is kind of the quicker version of, if you've ever had a little, a little one that's really hard to sleep, like go to sleep, I was one of those. I just not very good at sleeping, and we had one of those too that just couldn't, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep, couldn't sleep. And so some of you know that experience with a little one, and then they got older, and they still couldn't do it. So now let's imagine they're like, now they got arms and teeth, and you know, can fight a little bit. And so they are just restless, whiny, restless, and they can't sleep, and you try to do the same thing I do where you grab them and you hold them real tight, right? Hold them real tight, and they're flailing and flailing and flailing. You've got the picture, right? And you're holding them tight, and you're just kind of whispering. You're not like, shut up, stop it. You don't do that. You just sit there, and you hold it, and you just go, it's okay. It's okay. Daddy's got you. Mommy's got you. You know what I'm talking about? You, you got the picture. Boy, do you have this picture, right? And, uh, and, you, and they're still kind of fighting it and fighting it and fighting it, and you know that, uh, that uh, the, the goods, the, you know, the product's about to come because they start to yawn a little bit. Oh, there it is, there it is. And then all of a sudden, they kind of slow down for a second. You're like, oh, there it is, there it is. And then they have like one more real big burst of energy. And they're like, wow, wow, wow. Oh, no, hold on, I got you, I got you, right? And you're just resting and you're trying to help them sleep. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, they're, and finally, finally, after a while, they fall asleep. And now you got the complication of trying to get them into the, the crib or whatever it is. And so uh, that's about as far as that analogy will go. But you know the next part of it, right? And then all of a sudden, your other kid comes running in and goes, Mommy! and you're like, you shut your mouth, right? You know what I'm talking about? Just like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because you're like, no, 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 finally, finally, they're resting. No, no, you don't know how much hard work it was to get them to rest, and now you just started the whole thing again. Like, I'm so convinced that the Christian life is all about being held and held, and I'm not, a, I'm not one who wants to be held, right? I don't want your hugs. I'm sorry. Like, I don't, I, I got my whole, oh, whole bubble. COVID has been good to me, right? And so, uh, so like, but, you know, I think the whole Christian life is about being held and just being loved and cared for, right? But it just seems like when you're finally about to rest, something comes around the corner, right? Like the other sibling, and it wakes you all back up, and you get jolted again, and so we have this battle where we're trying to rest and receive and then eventually respond. Don't worry about the responding yet. Rest and receive. But then the stuff around us distracts us, right? And so what I love is Jesus is helping these disciples see what it looks like to remain and abide in him. And going, no, 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 no. Your only choice is just to choose me. But the problem is, as we try that, you've tried it, I've tried it, particularly if you are a Christ follower, you've tried this and you've had good experiences. But out of the corner, that thing comes. That distraction comes, bubbles up in this fear, right? And as, as we look through it, I'm convinced, and the scriptures, I think, will indicate this, and where Jesus goes next. So Jesus has just told the disciples that, like, or told all these religious people that you are filthy on the inside. He actually called them spiritually dead. And he told them, look, you're like unmarked graves. You're defiling everybody who comes in contact with you. Not only are you not good, you're making everything else bad. Right, so you can imagine they're really, really angry, and there's lots of them. There's more of them. There's a whole mob coming, and you can imagine for the disciples, what do they fear then? Wait, we've committed our lives to this guy. We've committed. We've leaned in. He, we got to abide in him. We got to remain in him. We've seen him, and we're receiving him, and now we're responding to him. But look at out there, look at these people calling us crazy. 
Look at the anger and the vitriol out there, right? They're making fun of our fairy tale God. They're, you know, they're, they're mocking when we say, we'll, we'll pray, right? There's all these different things. And what happens is we just have this overwhelming fear where we just start going back to our old ways, right? Go back to the way that we used to perform. Go back to the job. Go back to you being in charge of your marriage. Go back to you being in charge of your family. Go back to you being in charge of your finances because the weight out there is so overwhelming. And Jesus knows this. Because what he does now, there's all these angry people. And what he's going to do for just a second is he's going to turn inward. And he's going to pull his little disciples in here. And he's going, let me tell you how you respond to this. So you got to see it. Lots of people have come. They are angry and seething because Jesus has told them they're all dirty. Just like you and I are dirty. He's peered into their hearts and he said, you are filthy and incapable of earning God's love. The good news is you don't have to earn God's love, but you're incapable of earning it. And so you can imagine they are very angry. He has called out their whole life system and purpose. And so they're all angry on the outside. And he's going to pull the disciples in and go, no, no, you can rest. You can rest. You can rest. So today what we're going to see, we're going to get to make the decision. As we make a decision every single week, we get to make the decision today not to be fearful of what's out there, but instead be fearful of the one who spoke us into existence, who came and brought the kingdom of heaven to earth and came to usher it in so you could see him, you could receive him, and then eventually you could respond to him, to him and reflect him. So the, the goal today is actually to choose to not tremble, not have anxiety of all the people out there and all the outer noise, but to look up and see God and tremble and awe of him. And I've told you over and over again that kind of what, the way that I see that Christianity has kind of moved in the U.S. has been this pendulum, right? Sometimes the pendulum has been really heavy on God's holiness, right? You can go back to Jonathan Edwards. You can go back to original Puritans that sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God, right? That God was holy and perfect and mighty, right? This idea that we should tremble at him. And then, because that seems so scary, and that, that migrates to this legalism where we tell people to perform better because God's angry at their sin. He is. And he was so angry at their sin that he sent Jesus to pay for it, right? And so that gets missing this. And so the other side of it is kind of the pendulum swings to this really God is gracious, also true, that Jesus came and he's our buddy and he's our brother and he's our homeboy, right? Like you and Jesus, y'all are buddies, which he loves you. And he came to woo you back and to pay the price for you. But he is not like us. He was fully man and fully God at the same time. He is holy and he is perfect. And so there should be this great marriage between God's holiness and God's grace. This is where you see uh, Jesus talk to the woman caught in adultery. He says to her, did anyone condemn you? And then he goes, I'll not condemn you either. What's that? Oh, God's grace. But then he says, but go and leave your life of sin. That's truth. So there, there is a responsibility that we have footings on both sides of that ravine that God is all gracious and all truthful, that he is fully loving and fully holy. And so what he's going to do is he's going to bring these guys around and help them see that they actually have something bigger to fear than what they think they have to fear. He's going, oh, look out there. You're scared of that. Let me tell you what you should be scared of. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. You're scared of all that stuff. You're scared of all that stuff. You're scared of the next diagnosis at the doctor. You're scared of the next, you know, utility bill that comes in. You're scared of what your spouse is going to send you on the, in that, from that courier, right? There's lots of stuff to be fearful of. And Jesus goes, hey, 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 there's lots of that stuff. Let me tell you what you should be really afraid of, right? So that's how he's going to start this, but I promise it will be really good news. So Luke chapter 15, the crowd, the mob is angry. Let me read to you what it says. Luke chapter 
12. Sorry, we're not 15. I just read John 15. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. This is really, really important. You very rarely ever see thousands of people gathered. That takes a huge group of people here, right? There was no social media. There was no way to kind of attract the mob. So all these people here, this is pretty significant. So there's thousands. That's what the word says. Thousands of people had gathered together. Thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling on one another. This is chaos. He began to say to it, see this? His disciples first. So all that outer noise, you see that? So, so important. All the outer noise. And remember, Jesus is going to train and love. They're going to see him and receive him and then respond to him. And you're going to see after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, they're going to reflect him in a glorious way. So he's still training these people. And he's going to pull them in. So there's a lot of outer noise. And he goes, hey, listen. So I would just say for just a few minutes, can we suspend all the other anxiety and just listen, right? And he said, began to say to the disciples uh, first. He says this. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, a lot going on here. So leaven would have been the yeast that would have gone into some bread. And what he's saying is really, really important. I don't know enough about this in terms of how bread's made, but if you put too much in that, it just creates chaos and it expands. It, it, it's just not good. There's a little bitty pinch. And so if you put way too much in there, what's going to happen is it's going to actually ruin every bit of bread you're trying to make. One little bit, not measured correctly, is going to ruin this. So he's going, hey, what I need you to do is I need you to be aware of that. We'll use this word, virus, that could come in. Beware of this little thing that can be implanted into these disciples, my church. And it could come in and it could ruin it. And let me tell you very specifically what that little virus is. And he actually defines it as hypocrisy. Let me tell you, it's, it's people who are, concerned with and focused on performance art right it's people who live one way outwardly but inside they are dirty and broken what i love about this is if you ever just come back to church you're here because your wife or your husband or your grandmother wanted you to be here you'll, you'll find great comfort in this because one of your big hangs-ups with church is how broken and dishonest christians can be right so let me tell you when you, what you got to be aware of is these folks who come in and this virus that gets implanted that starts to whisper and gossip and remind people that, you know, people aren't good and they're broken and pointing fingers and all those things. And it just starts to bubble up. And he goes, look, look, see right here? Look around, look around. What I want you to see is that is a, that is a raging virus of religion and performance. And it's going to be hard for you to abide and remain in me because there's going to be all this outer noise and you're going to think you're going to have to perform for those people. You're going to have to defend yourself in front of those people and your whole focus is going to be out there. And what I'll tell you often is Satan doesn't necessarily need to destroy you. He can just distract you, right? And so that is a distraction. So he said, well, I want you to be aware of the hypocrisy of people who claim they're one thing but doing another thing, right? And so he goes, that's out there. And he says this, watch this. That's so funny. He goes, nothing, verse two, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Wait, Jesus, I thought you pulled us in to bring us more comfort. But now you're telling me that all my secret sin is going to get exposed, that everything's going to be out there every single bit, right? And so what I have learned over and over again, experientially and practically shepherding a church, definitely experientially personally, 
that there are really two ways to respond to Jesus and see him and receive him and then respond to him. Two ways. Humility or humiliation. And unfortunately, most of us finally come to Jesus because of humiliation. Because we've been exposed. Because something's come out. Because all that stuff that we thought we could contain and keep secret or do on our own, finally it hits this bubbling over point where we can't contain it anymore. And Jesus is going to allow that stuff to bubble out. Why? Because he has one goal for you. One, number one goal for you personally. Is he wants you to be with him forever. And he's going to explain this. So he goes, hey, look, here's the thing. You, that, that's performance art, but you just got to understand that you don't need to be distracted by that performance art. And you don't even need to call it out. There's no need for you to stand out and point out all their hypocrisy. Why? Because I promise you at some point it will bubble out. Your job is not to jump around and defend and, you know, shoot the arrows back and argue and fight. No, 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 no. Hear me, hear me, hear me. All that stuff at some point will come out, but that's none of your, none of your worry. That's none of your worry, right? You need to be careful. You need to be wise, right? Because therefore, whatever is said will come out. Verse 4, he says, I tell you. Now watch this next word. My friend. This is so interesting that Jesus is going, no, 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 look. He's telling this because he loves them. He goes, I tell you, my friends, look, there's all that outer noise. There's all that chaos. You want to, you, you keep being pulled back into it. You keep being pulled. Don't, don't, don't focus here, right? I tell you, my friends, watch what it says. <laughs> Do not fear those who can kill the body. No, 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 I tell you, it's a lot of mob rule and a lot of outer noise. Look, all that stuff's going to come out at some point out there, but don't fear that. Don't spend your energy there. Do not fear those who kill the body <laughs> and then after that have nothing more they can do wait wait so this is confusing particularly if you don't believe in an afterlife or the kingdom of heaven it's like well jesus there isn't really anything after that and what he's helping us point to is that there is a greater path and a greater opportunity than just birth to death and i've done it multiple times bring out this timeline show you the little blips and go this is what your whole life on this earth is that's what we got to think about life and ministry and our family and purpose and light of eternity right and one of the ways that i like to describe it is if you would take all the sand on all the seashores and all the places and we'll even include lewis it's not really a beach but whatever right uh, so all those different sand and all that i know it's a jab i'm sorry i'm sorry uh, so take all the sand all the places and you were to pile all up you wouldn't be able to but if you could and then you were to take one little one little that's so funny. Some of you from the shore are like, yeah, you tell him. I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm not even going to talk about the shore. So, um, so one, if you were to take one little blip of that, those sand particles and hold it up and compare that one little blip that you could barely even see with your eye compared to all the other ones, that little blip is infinitely greater than your whole life on this earth. Infinitely infinitely that one little speck and so he's going hey, hey you're so focused on this but think about it think about it you know what you know what deep down you your soul is telling you that you were meant for more than this your soul is telling you that you were not meant to live in a birth to death timeline right that sin created that and he's going look don't fear that that and in light of everything that's a very small pain and i'm not making light of your pain right boy is life painful but he's going don't fear that because there's something greater that you can fear watch what he says instead verse five but I will warn you whom to fear. Who should you fear? I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
So Jesus, got to hear this. This is Jesus' words, not mine. He is now drawing a line and helping us see there are two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms, and there are two trajectories. And he's going, you want to fear something? You want to fear something? Don't, don't fear the one who can just put you in the ground. Fear the one who can take you out of the ground and place you in an eternal torment. And you go, that is so mean of God. And yeah, yeah, I, I understand that. And I just would go, man, what I love is I love Tim Keller's thoughts here. I share them every time we talk about hell. Is I, I'm not convinced that God sends people to hell. But if you spend your entire life telling the God of the universe, this holy being, that you want nothing to do with him, eventually you'll get your wish. Right? It would actually, you know, that doesn't seem just. I'm like, you know, that seems like an injustice. Like, you know what's a bigger injustice is making someone who hates God sit down and worship him every day for eternity. Right? And so he's going, you are, you're fearing this little, look, you're fearing that out there and you're fearing what they can do. Let me just tell you, when you, when you see me, when you receive me, what you are now entering into, what you are receiving is an eternal kingdom of heaven that begins now. Don't fear the one who can just do a little bit of punishment to you at worst death. Fear the one who holds the keys to eternity. And I just go, could we, this is where I, I want to go, well, let me explain to you more about eternity, why it exists. I'm just going, uh, I, I think at some point, Jesus is telling you that arrogance isn't going to help you. This idea that you won't trust him unless you understand all the details. He's like, do you know exactly what it requires to speak a world into existence? Do you know what it, what it requires to create an entire universe? You, you know what that requires? Of me, very little, just spoken words, but do you understand scientifically how that happens? No, right? And so at some point, we have to surrender and go, okay, Jesus, either you are Lord of everything, including the eternal future, or you're not. And he's going, don't fear the one who has some control over the next 10 years of your life. Fear the one who has control of everything. You go, well, I thought he was supposed to be comforting, right? And so uh, here's what I, I think is really, 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 really important to understand is that the way that Jesus is helping us see him, receive him, respond to him, reflect him, is he's actually going to take a way for us to deal with fear in a better way. And the way that he does is replace the fear of man, replace the fear of performing, replace the fear of pleasing people, replace the fear of them judging you and determining whether or not you're a success, Pl replace the fear of what your coach said or your boss said or your spouse said or your ex said or your parents said. Replace that instead. Don't replace it with nothing. Instead, I want you to replace it with me. Replace it with my judgment. You go, oh, that's harsh. Now watch what he's going to do here. So, so important. So three things. First thing, you got to replace whatever you think the judge is and get replace it with a, one with a stronger gavel. Jesus, right? And then the second thing that we have to be willing to do here, right, in terms of figuring this out, is being willing to suffer. You say that? He actually says, hey, when he goes back, he goes, I, I tell you, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that, have nothing to do with it. He's actually saying there's a possibility that there could be real pain. So step one, step one, replace uh, fear of man with Jesus as the judge. Step two, be willing to lean in whatever the cause, right? Because you're going to abide in him, abide in him, right? So first you got to replace Jesus as judge from man, put Jesus in that place, be willing to suffer. Life is temporary. And the third one is you got to take some assurances. This is so nice, Sam. Let me show you what they are. Verse six, and he says this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten by God? So he's going to take a really cheap animal. Could have been used for sacrifice. So he takes these cheap animals and he's going to go, they're sold for two pennies. And he says something else. 
and not one of them is forgotten by God. So what he's saying, really important, and we deal with the fear of man and go replace it with the fear of God, what does that mean? The first thing he wants you to know is he remembers you always. Always. If he does not forget a sparrow who's not made in his image, he will never forget you. He remembers you always. He remembers you always. He remembers your great, 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 great grandparents always. He says, if not the sparrows are forgotten, he remembers us always. Remembers us always. You are not and will not be forgotten. Then he says this, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Why should we fear him? One, you're not forgotten. He remembers you. He remembers you always. He remembers your child who's passed away. He remembers your spouse. He remembers. He has not forgotten. He's not forgotten. Number two, see this? He sees and knows you perfectly. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. He sees and knows you perfectly. So this is what, so he will never forget you, and he sees everything about you. He knows the exact number of hairs on your head, and yep, for some of you, that's easier for him, and, but he knows, he knows those things, right? He, he knows it. He sees it, and watch this. Not only does he see it and know it, Fear not, you are more valuable than sparrows. See the third thing? Not only does he not only does he not forget, not only does he see and know you perfectly, he values you deeply. He's gonna look at this mob. They don't value you. They're wanting to use you for their gain. He sees you. He sees you. He has not forgotten you. He knows you. And he knows the depths of your heart. And he loves you anyway. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you look at. He knows what you said. He knows what you drank. He sees all those things, and yet he values you deeply. So he's going, hey, are not sparrows not forgotten? And he values you much more. And watch what he says next. And I tell you, so, so important. You want in on that? Everyone who acknowledges me before men. So there's the fear, right? Yeah, yeah, this is weird. I can't believe I'm talking out loud that I believe in this God that you say is a fairy tale. I can't believe I'm going to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. But everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, this is his favorite term that he uses. 80 times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is so important because that means that, that when you see Son of Man, it's referring to a statement in Daniel in the Old Testament, but that always points to Jesus' humanity. It's reminding us that he is God, but this one he's going, son of man, meaning he stepped down. He became a human. He brought the kingdom of God with him. And he says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. So he's going, hey, you should not fear that. What you should fear is this. You should fear the one who has power over all authority, the one who gets to determine where your trajectory is, where you spend eternity, where that soul that you will never forget lives and resides. You should fear that. And you, want, you go, okay, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to be reverent and go, okay, I'm going to choose this route. If I'm not going to walk in this fear of man anymore because, oh, I just want to be freed, you're going to be freed. I want to fear Jesus. What does that look like? He says, very simply, you acknowledge him before men. So the thing that you got to do, so interesting, the way that you can work through the fact that you no longer fear men is you actually make a claim out loud to those men who you fear. So he says, whoever acknowledges me before men, that word acknowledge literally means to come to the same conclusion, to agree, to profess because of full agreement. So this isn't like, yeah, I like Jesus, I go to a church. This isn't, because that's, that's historically in the South how you talk about God. You go, what church do you go to? 
No, 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 no. This isn't about what church you go to. This is about who you follow and who you've surrendered yourself to. So he's going, whoever acknowledges this, whoever acknowledges this, whoever can take that step, this is a very simple step to actually start saying out loud that Jesus is your Lord. And I know, I understand. Boy, does that create some trembling, right? Does that mean someone might make fun of you, make fun of your family, make fun of your decisions? Jesus is going, yeah, yeah, but don't look out there. Don't look out there. There's always going to be there instead. Fear the one who loves you, knows you deeply, serves you, cares for you, pulled you out of the pits of hell. And he says, whoever acknowledges him, Son of man, me. Whoever acknowledges me before men, guess what? If he can come into agreement with me, guess what I can do? I can come in agreement with him. And when I come before a whole set of witnesses, the God of angel armies and his armies himself, he's going to go, this is my child. No, no, no. He took a right. He walked on this path. He's, he's mine. He's mine. And oh, no, Jesus. Oh, no, no, God. You cannot lay down the wrath on him. Remember, remember, remember. You already laid that wrath down on me. So he is free and covered, protected, loved, and welcomed into the kingdom from here on out, right? And, but the one who denies me before man will be denied before the angels of God. That word literally means refuses. It means to refuse to affirm or to confess to disown. So he's saying, you got two choices to make. You can continue to operate in this performance art thinking that those people are your judge and they might make your life a little harder for a few days, a few weeks, a few years, a few decades. Or you can choose to place your hope and trust in the one who sees you, knows you, made you for eternal purposes to be with him forever. Now he says something really interesting. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, so he's going, okay, so now that you have this holiness, so you got this, right? So he's going, you got two choices. And I told you, we got to figure out what that pendulum is because we've kind of lost this holiness of who God is. That's why we worship him. That's why we raise our hands and surrender to him, right, right? So that's why we do it. That's why we, you know, this God, we see him as holy and yet we're going, but he does love us. He does know us. He does call us friends. So, so what's that thing? And so I'm going, yep, be holy. And then he goes, no, here's the deal. Some of you are actually going to say a word against me. And you go, oh gosh, does that mean this God is punitive and going to beat us because we turned our back? Because guess what? All of us have chose fear of man over fear of God before in our lives. Right? I'm, like all of us have. And multiple times, does that mean we are just in trouble forever? Watch what he says. That, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Be offered grace. Uh, that word literally means to be released, discharged. No, 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 no. I just told you. When, when we acknowledge God before men, when we make that public profession, he's going, no, no, this is, my, this is my child. He's covered. He's covered. He's covered. Forgiven, right? By the way, quick kind of commercial. That's actually one of the purposes of baptism, right? In the Old Testament, when we saw Jonah uh, go to the Ninevites and they repented, they actually did an outward expression. They put on sackcloth. One of the things we get to literally do is acknowledge our dirtiness and be baptized, covered, cleaned by the grace of God. And then there's a public profession piece. Jesus was baptized, and out of that came this public profession from God himself. This is my son with whom I'm all pleased. Second Sunday of every single month, we baptize. We pull a trough in here. You're welcome to jump in on it. You let us know. We'll be happy to work through that with you. You can text us, call us, all those kind of things, because there is opportunities to confess before man. But what I want you to hear 
is I don't think this is Jesus' plug to go, you should get baptized. So I don't want to use this as just employ to do some emotional baptism. I think you should get baptized if you never have. Absolutely. But this is much greater than that. That means in the workplace. That means in the way you drive. That means in how you lead your family. That means how you talk to your siblings and your parents, right? And all those things. You get to acknowledge me before man or you can choose not to. And everyone who speaks a word against me, here's the good news. The Son of Man will be forgiven. So you can, you can have forgiveness in this acknowledgement. He will forgive you, set your feet on solid ground, turn you around, give you a focus and a purpose, right? But, there's another but. The one who blasphemes against me, the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And this, this passage, we'll cover it more on Tuesday and overtime, has been absurdly and deeply misused, right? Some of you still have this trepidation because you have been told that this passage means that uh, someone that you love committed suicide and no longer will be in heaven. Maybe you could pay some penance, do some things to possibly get them into the right place, whatever that is. But this belief that somehow that suicide is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's not. It's not. It's a sin like many other sins. And we can talk about people being in their wrong mind, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is if you fall off a cliff today and you use some words that are, and maybe you take the Lord's name in vain, you are dying in sin. And we certainly hope that God still covers that sin, right? And so, any, so this idea that suicide is a thing that means they, they don't get loved and welcomed by God, that is not true at all. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord is saved. Got it? So it's not that. So what in the world does it mean, right? Is, what does blaspheme mean? And so that word literally means to refuse to acknowledge good. It actually means to reverse moral values. To go, nope, not interested in your moral values, God, I have my own, right? So as someone who literally is going, nope, I have my own religion, I have my own plan, I have all those things. And so what, what this means, and by the way, really, really, I hope this brings you some comfort. If right now you have some fear that you've done that and are not forgiven, I would just say that is a really good indicator that you've not done it, right? This idea that you would worry about upsetting God, disappointing God, disrespecting God at that level and wondering if somehow your life has done that, that would mean that somehow in you there is some humility of hoping that God sees you and loves you and forgives you. So that doesn't mean that if, if you have denied God, walked away from God, told God you're not interested in him, that doesn't mean he will not forgive you. But if you spend your entire life being wooed by the Spirit, right? First Corinthians it tells us the way that you actually can finally come to the conclusion that Jesus is Lord. The way that you finally can go, I'm going to fear Jesus, not man. The only way that you can do that is actually a work of the Holy Spirit. So right now, if you have the capability of saying Jesus is Lord, that is not from your own will. It's not. If you can say that and mean it, it's because the Holy Spirit is done and is doing something in your life, right? And so if there's this indication that you go, it's probably time for me to choose God, to walk in faith, to trust Jesus, to fear Jesus, to fear him as reverent and holy and not fear man. If you are feeling that pressure and you go, nope, not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it, and you spend your whole life telling God, no, you will not be forgiven, you spend your whole life saying, God, I don't care what the Spirit wants me to do. I don't care that the Spirit is revealing himself to me. I don't care that he's wooing me. I want nothing to do with you. Eventually, you'll get your wish. 
So this never-ending battle, the Holy Spirit trying to woo you, trying to go, no, no, he knows the number of hairs on your head. No, he sees you. He knows you. Yeah, he knows that you did that. He knows the worst things about you, and he still loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. You go, nope, I'm not going to do it. Nope, I got my own set of rules. I got my own set of reasons to walk in the way that I do, and I want nothing to do with God. What he's saying is, you are blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, and you will not be forgiven. You will not be covered by what Jesus did for you because you've chosen not to receive it or accept it. Grace is a gift. Your part in the gift is to open it. But if God keeps giving you that gift and you keep throwing it in the trash and going, I want nothing to do with it, it's coming. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Verse 11, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. So it's interesting. So remember, he started. He started with all these folks going around. What I imagine is Jesus sees all that anger and vitriol, and he goes, hey, guys, come here, come here, come here, come here. Come here. Uh, object lesson. Those guys, don't fear them. Don't fear them. No, no, look, no, look at me. Look at me. Stay focused here. And here's the deal. There's going to come a day where I'm going to go and be back with the Father, but I'm going to give you my spirit, and you're going to be okay. But you're going to have that trepidation again. Right? So he literally used the word anxious, which means to be pulled apart. So he's going to go, oh, you're going to be pulled apart because you really do want to be in this kingdom and you really do want to walk with me and fear me and be reverent towards me and worship me. But there's going to be this pool. You're going to want to walk back to this path. You're going to be drawn back, right? You're going to be the baby who falls asleep and then you're going to hear that noise and you're going to wake up and he's going, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. You can't do that. Don't be anxious, right? Yeah, it might happen. It might happen. You might have to give an account, but here's the really good news. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to worry about what you'll say because watch this, verse 12. For the Holy Spirit, will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So he goes, you walk with me, you trust me, you call me Lord, you acknowledge me, and you have nothing else to fear. Because the things that you would fear, that your life would be shorter, it's okay. That just means you get into the vacation in eternity sooner. Right? Oh goodness, you're going to stand before people and not know what to say, it's okay. It's actually going to be really glorious because in that moment you are going to see my hand and my spirit at work in your life right and so this is experiential as you don't know what to say i don't know i can't believe i'm gonna tell my parents that i believe this and i believe jesus lord. i can't believe i'm gonna tell my children that um, we're gonna start going to church because i believe jesus is lord i'm not sure how they're going to respond i don't know what i'm gonna say it's okay you don't have to i can't believe i'm gonna actually make this statement out loud not in like a religious condemnation sense but i'm i'm gonna walk with jesus and be proud to trust Jesus and be proud to surrender to Jesus but what if they ask oh it's okay what? I don't know what to say it's okay he's literally going you walked on this path with me I will sustain you and underwrite every single step so what he's saying is hey guys look the noise is out there hey see I'll see the noise is out there we know that but I would argue it's no longer time to play defense in the kingdom of God and it's time to play offense right instead of reacting and responding to all the chaos out there it's time to go Lord what is it you've called us to and how do we walk in that how do we choose that path how do we take that step so what I want to challenge you with the band's going to come up and I just want to pause for just a second and I want you to think a couple questions this is it this is a time of reflection for you and I just want you to think about it the first one is this are you going to leave here with Jesus as Lord, as the one you fear, or someone else. Every single one of us get to make that decision.
God, he gives you the opportunity through the work of the Spirit to make this decision on behalf of yourself with the Spirit working. Are you going to leave here choosing to fear Jesus as Lord or something else or someone else? Now, here's the more, the more difficult question. That's easy. Yep, I'm going to do it. Okay, here's the next question. What is the Holy Spirit? Remember what just happened? He says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. He will teach you in that very hour. Guess what we happen to be in? A very hour. So that, and that very hour means at the right time, he will teach you what to say. So what is the Holy Spirit telling you you need to say? Not only will you choose Jesus as Lord, what is the Holy Spirit telling you you need to say? Do you need to confess sin? Do you need to call it out? Do you need to make this statement out loud to someone? What is the Holy Spirit wooing and calling you to say? I can't answer that for you, but the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. And so what I want to have happen is the band's going to lead us in a song, and it's called Wake Up, and boy, do I want this to be this kind of this epiphany that we get to walk in fear of the Lord as his friend and as someone who follows him and is covered by him, who is underwriting our faith in every single step. But some of us aren't quite ready to do that. And so as we sing this, I just want you to sit still, and I want you to say, God, I want you to be Lord if that's what you want. And then, God, what do you want me to say, and where do you want me to say it? To whom do you want me to say it to? And as you kind of are wrestling through that, if you want to stand up and sing and honor God, you're welcome to at whatever time you want to do that. But for now, the band's just going to lead you, and you're going to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to respond in the way that the Spirit wants you to respond.
So in just a second, that's going to be my prayer, that uh, you would wake up and that we would walk in the joy and the peace that comes with fearing and trusting the Lord and that you would fear no one other than him and you would walk in the fullness of what he has for us. So in just a second, I'm going to pray that. But before we pray that, do you mind just sitting for a couple minutes? Um, I mentioned this uh, on a vision video and then earlier in the service. And, but uh, once a year, we have to nominate a part of our kind of our organizational structure, bylaws, you know, constitution, all those things about how we operate as a church. We're staff-led, meaning our staff is in the weeds in the day-to-day operation, but we're elder-governed, meaning we have wise uh, and spiritually-led elders walking with the Holy Spirit full of grace and wisdom. And so every year, we add three new elders as three elders rotate off. So it's a three-year term. And the way by which we add those elders is pretty unique. So what happens is uh, the outgoing elders, the three outgoing elders, and then the um, uh, they help uh, join a, what's called an elder nominating committee, and then the church at large actually will nominate the committee. So I want to be clear here, you're not nominating elders right now, you're nominating the committee who's going to help select through the guidance of the Holy Spirit the next three elders for our church for the class of 2024. Got it? So you're nominating elder nominating committee and we'd ask that you would pray and consider and nominate up to three different elder nominating committee members so what will happen is that committee will get together they'll pray they'll seek the lord and they will identify three new elders that will present before you and then you will vote for them as elders but right now today i want to call a business meeting to order for our church so that you can nominate those elders how do you do that you ask great question um one of two ways if you are handed a bulletin around the back of it in those little comment section you can just write some names down if you don't know anybody not ready to do that that's fine no judgment and but you can write them down and you can drop them in the offering baskets on your way out or if you're online right now you can actually click the link where you see clcfamily.church forward slash nominate or if you have a phone and want to do that right now wherever you are right you can go to clcfamily.church forward slash nominate not dominate nominate with an n and there will be a selection for three uh, places that you can put in a name and submit that so if you wouldn't mind doing that as a way to love and serve your church and the community and kingdom, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So you can do that in the next few minutes. You can do it this afternoon. You can do it as late as uh, this evening or tomorrow morning if necessary. But we'd love, love, love for you to pray and make those decisions. That's it. That's the business meeting. And so now what I want to do is pray over you and send you to live in the kingdom of heaven today in walking in the fear of the Lord and responding to whomever God calls you to respond to the work of the Spirit in your life. And so, would you join me in prayer? Jesus, you know the number of hairs in our head. And you see the brokenness in our heart, and you love us the same. You have not forgotten us. You will not forget forget us. And you value us, me and you, and our entire church family. You value us deeply. So, Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to acknowledge you before men. Would we walk in our confidence in you, Jesus? So would you give us the courage to acknowledge you? God, would you give us the wisdom, Holy Spirit, to say whatever it is you've called us to say, to whomever you've called us to say it to? Would you give us the wisdom to know what to say? And then the courage to actually do it this weekend when we visibly see the work of your Spirit in our life and in our community and in our families. And I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Love you all. Tune back in on Tuesday to talk a little bit more about blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Or if not, see you next week for church.
Say goodbye 